Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I'm Bill Barnwell. Today joining me is ESPN's Field Yates. We're going to talk all about three quarterbacks who are developing a long look into Mac Jones's performance against the Buccaneers on Sunday night. We're also going to talk about Jalen Hurts, and we'll talk about Sam Darnold. But first, before we get into today's episode, Organized Chaos is ESPN's newest podcast, hosted by former NFL coach Rex Ryan and his former Jets and Ravens linebacker Bart Scott. The duo will be reunited in this weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday that will provide listeners with expert insight and analysis on everything happening around the league, featuring trending stories from on and off the field. That's Organized Chaos. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the Peabody and Emmy award-winning 30 for 30 film series presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary event about the city, swagger, and wild ride of the 86 Mets. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams and their legendary World Series comeback. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper, and more. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app immediately. All right, joining me now, here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone I wanted to have on for many, many reasons. I, I, but more than anything, I would say this. The Patriots-Buccaneers game on Sunday, of course, probably the highest profile game of the regular season. And I think we saw a lot of opinions coming out after that game. And I wanted to bring someone on who was knowledgeable but someone more than anything who I think is very thoughtful, someone who whenever I talk to him about football, not only do I feel like I learned something, but also I feel like his opinion comes from a very rational and very intelligent and very informed place. And I'm hoping that you will feel the same way. I'm sure you will about our guest, the wonderful Field Yates. Field, how are you? Bill, I'm doing wonderful, especially because I'm on the podcast with you and <laughs> I know you and I were sort of showering each other with praises before the show began. Of but I course. want to make this very clear. I, I love listening to you talk about football on any platform, any medium. I always tell people that it's not the era of having a bunch of disposable time on our hands. I, most of mm -hmm. us would prefer to consume 280s worth, 280 characters worth of content than we would 2,800 words. But, ben, but yes. Bill Barnwell could write 2,800 words on the Atlanta Falcons punt protection unit, and I would read it. So it's really an honor to be back on the show with you. That's a good challenge. Like, I think that'd be fun to just have like, you know, like a randomizer and, and just pick team, obscure part of team and word count and have to put it together. That would be a fun, like two week period. I mean, punt protection and punt return team is significant. We saw the values of intangibles and grit. We're, we're obviously having this conversation on Tuesday, but in the most recent NFL game, Hunter Renfro showed some moxie on punt return on the punt return unit, like the instincts there. This stuff does matter, Bill. It can be the difference between, you know, an extended drive for the chargers and Renfro and the Raiders getting the ball back. Wasn't that wild. That was, was oh, it? it was, the most quintessential Hunter Renfro play in the history mm -hmm. of all Hunter Renfro plays. It's perfect. Like, like if you had to, if I told you, field, okay, a wide receiver is going to be on punt. It's going to be a punt returner and then come off his responsibility as a returner and chase down a fake punt from 20 yards out 
to break up a play. And it's going to be one receiver in the NFL. I don't know if Hunter Renfro would have been my first choice, but I feel like he's in the top five, just in terms of every, like the mythology around Hunter Renfro. What a, what a fun player in so many weird ways. He really is. And I know these are still early, small sample sizes, but I used this on Twitter on Tuesday that we're four games into the season, four weeks into the season. And he is one of eight players that mm-hmm. has at least five catches in every game. And if you look at the other players, it's the likes of Devonte Adams and Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson and DJ Moore and Calvin Ridley and Cooper cup. And then you have Hunter Renfro, who's become a very useful piece of a Raiders offense that probably could use more from its other major investments at wide receiver, but it's getting mm-hmm. a ton from a guy who we knew no matter where he got drafted, he'd find a role, right, Bill? Like it may not necessarily be catching five passes every game, but Hunter Renfro, we always hear this line thrown out during the pre-draft process. This guy's going to find a way to stick in the league for seven years. Mm-hmm. I have never felt more certain about a player sticking around for seven years in the NFL who was not like a first or second or even third round pick than Hunter mm-hmm. Renfro. Mm-hmm. You're 100% correct. And I mean, look, he has a meaningful role on a good offense. Yeah. Like we're not going to talk about Raiders Chargers, but that offense has legitimately been good for most of the season, not their best game against the Chargers, but they're probably one of their best players on Monday night was in fact Hunter Renfro. So yeah, I mean, a, you know, a, a fifth round pick in that draft at wide receiver. And I don't know how many wide receivers have taken ahead of him, but I think, you know, a, a fair number of the teams who chose wide receivers in that draft would probably rather have Hunter Renfro than the guy they chose. But that is another story for another day field. We'll talk about punt protection during the offseason. Maybe we'll have a expansive punt protection podcast today. I want to talk to you about, about several games. Uh, and the first one being Patriots bucks. Like I said, I felt like, you know, it was a very interesting game in a lot of ways. Uh, obviously, of course, even beyond the big story of Tom Brady returning to Foxborough to play the Patriots. I think we saw a lot from the Patriots defense. We saw a lot from the Buccaneers and how they adapted as the game went along. And I think we saw some real insight into Mac Jones, a player who of course is in a impossible position mm. as the guy replacing Tom Brady in the long term. Of course, Cam Newton there last year um, is now gone. Mac Jones is their first round pick. He's going to be the guy who, you know, in the big picture is replacing maybe the greatest player who's ever lived. And on Sunday he had to play the greatest player who ever lived and went toe to toe. I mean, it was a low scoring game, but Mac Jones was there in the fourth quarter driving the football with a chance to beat Tom Brady with a Patriots offense that, you know, doesn't exactly have the same weapons that the Buccaneers do. So field, I feel like we've had either two, no, it's sort of been like a binary thing to me mm. when I've seen the comments coming out of this game. I feel like people have either been anointing Mac Jones as the next Tom Brady and a, a absolute future superstar in every single way, or he's a scrub who couldn't score any points and uh, you know couldn't throw a pass more than six yards downfield. And we know neither of those things are true. So when you watched Mac Jones play on Sunday, both in terms of how he performed on the field, how he handled himself, um, the, the, the pressure of dealing with Brady. What were your big takeaways from Mac Jones's performance on Sunday? I think it actually might be easier for me to start with how he handled himself, Bill, because mm-hmm. that to me is in some ways a reflection of how he has composed himself since the Patriots mm-hmm. drafted him back in April. And I think that sometimes when you hear people talk 
about players and their position within the locker room or how they are respected or treated, people sometimes interpret it as like, it sounds like glorified public relations for those players, because you don't hear Mm -hmm. as many comments made by people, people in the media uh, that are sort of using on the record sources about how a guy is a cancer and he sucks and he's brutal to have around the locker room. Like most of the time when you hear glowing praise for a player's decorum and the way that he's respected, it's about, you know, that, that, that's, it's, it's very much that that's, that's much more than norm. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I will say is that I do know in talking to people who have spent the past five and a half or so months around Mac Jones is that his maturity was immediately evident. His understanding of what it takes to assert yourself in a way that a starting quarterback must assert himself while also understanding your place. When he was drafted, he was still the backup. And now, despite the fact that he's been the starter since Cam Newton was released, he's still a rookie quarterback. Like when he looks across the huddle, every other player in the offensive huddle is more experienced than Mac Jones. There is mm-hmm. not a rookie that is playing for the Patriots on offense with Ramondre Stevenson being an inactive player for the past three mm-hmm. games. I think all the stuff, like all the makeup and some of the intangibles are excellent. That's no surprise. Uh, he mm-hmm. obviously was revered during his starting stint at Alabama. And he had even had two of his teammates who went on the record and said, like, if I could choose between him and Tua Tungavailoa throwing me passes, I would choose him, mm-hmm. which most of the time when players are asked a question like that, they just sort of plead the fifth and say, oh, I love them both, right? <laughs> so I think anyways, the moment all seemed, it seemed apparent to me that Mac Jones was not overwhelmed by the moments. I think there's a lot of reasons why Patriots fans should be encouraged by Mac Jones. And that extends beyond just how he handled himself on Sunday night. Would you agree with mm-hmm. how he seemed to be comfortable in what could have been an overwhelming moment against the Bucks? Absolutely. I mean, that that is 100% the case. This is a you know, obviously missing some cornerbacks, maybe not the, the defense they were in the Super Bowl a year ago, but a very fierce pass rush, a very intelligent defensive coordinator, a guy who makes veteran quarterbacks look foolish at times in Todd Bowles. And of course, the added pressure, primetime game, you know, surrounded by, uh, I forget the media count for that game, but, you know, the the largest media collection in the major Boston area since probably uh, classic Red Sox, maybe since today for the Red Sox Yankees game, I guess. Sure. Um, You know, every possible amount of pressure you would need to apply was on Mac Jones in this game. And he handled it with, I mean, it wasn't perfect. You know, he did have one interception, which that's actually kind of a gray area interception bill. It was a third. And I think like 12 from the Buccaneers, Mm -hmm. like 44. So it was one of those, like, if you're going to collect a first down, you have to throw the football down the field. Now, but you probably in like you probably netted like best I guess worst case scenario like you probably lost about like twenty five yards mm-hmm. of field position like if you if the pass is incomplete and you pin the punt deep inside the ten but still like a fairly in the grand scheme excusable mistake so sure. all that stuff I think is reason to be excited about Mac Jones in terms of the on field stuff Bill a couple things that I will add in there is that he completed at one point nineteen straight passes. Yeah. And that's something that, 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 that ties Tom Brady's career high himself. That's an extremely difficult thing to do against air, much less against no matter who's playing quarterback to your point, I would think the most vaunted front seven. And I know they were without Jason Pierre Paul were the bucks 
Instead, their first round pick, Joe Tryon, just racks up two sacks and looks like a plug and play potential all pro one day. Um, So an impressive defense they were playing against in driving rain. And the Patriots know this right now. They've got an offensive line problem, which was not expected Mm -hmm. coming into this season. You could make the case that, you know, I would think basically their left tackle spot has been below where it was expected with Isaiah Wynn since Trent Mm -hmm. Brown got hurt in week one. The right tackle spot has been a major sore spot. And then, Bill, I think I'm sure you caught on to this. They had to bench in the middle of that game Mike Unwenu, who was their sixth-round pick out of Michigan last year, who some thought was the biggest steal in the draft by the end of the season. And then he Mm -hmm. gets benched in the middle of it. So – um, there were things that were working against Mac Jones's favor or like, were working against Mac Jones. So in terms of the performance bill, I feel like the biggest narrative as you have, have pointed out appropriately that is working against him is like, Hey, he just dink and dunked his way to mm-hmm. like, it's not like he had 350 passing yards and three touchdowns, right? He still ended up with um, two touchdown passes and 275 yards. Is that correct? I think yep. it was 275 was two touchdowns. So a really mm-hmm. solid night, but not otherworldly, but I always look at quarterback evaluation bills. I start here, like with the young guys is like, what are you doing in the construct of what you are being asked to do Mm -hmm. right now? It gets to a different tier when you're Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and the other types where it's not just, what are you asked to do? It's what do you do because you're Tom freaking Brady or Patrick freaking Mm -hmm. Mahomes. And it felt to me like the Patriots plan was fairly evident on Sunday night. Ball had to get out quick. And it was not going to be a day where they were racing down the field and Mac Jones was launching a bunch of 25 plus yard air yard highlight reel worthy throws. And I don't know how you could not be encouraged and impressed by the mental capacity that was shown, knowing where to make the throws and then making throws. I thought accurately. So I thought it was really solid. There was some stuff that was left. Uh, There was, there's certainly areas that he can get better and better. But I think given the construct of like what the Patriots presently have right now in terms of offensive personnel, specifically along the offensive line, uh, not having James White, whose value to that team seems greater than ever right now. Yes, um, for sure. And the last thing I'll say is that I know that Justin Herbert's and Kyler Murray's and Patrick Mahomes even sort of they change the perception of what a rookie's supposed to look like. It's the fourth game of Mac Jones' professional career. Mm-hmm. And what his 23rd, 24th start since high school, right? I mean, he only played yeah. a year and five games at Alabama. So I would say largely impressed, Bill. Like, I feel like if I'm a Patriots fan right now, the frustration of being one in three is probably not totally offset, but is at least balanced by the fact that this quarterback looks like he's got a chance to be a, a viable long-term starter. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, I think, it makes total sense. Think about if you were going to craft a game plan for the Patriots heading into the Bucks game. You'd sit there and say, okay, well, we're probably not going to be able to run the ball. We're not a great running team in general. Uh, the offensive line, like you said, um, has some injuries, hasn't been playing all that well. And the Bucs are incredible on the interior. We don't want to run the ball. That's playing to their strengths. So you've seen other teams, like the Cowboys, for example, you know, who have heavy investments on their offensive line and say, hey, eh, we're good. Yeah. We're going to throw the ball, which makes sense. So then you look at their uh, their weapons in the passing game. Well, I mean, Nelson Aguilar might be that guy as a downfield weapon as the year goes on, maybe. But this is not a team that has a ton of downfield threats. And of course, the weather gets factored in. Uh, it's rainy. It's going to be tough to get your footing. going to be tough to hit those throws downfield. And Bucks have a great pass rush. So you probably don't want to hold on to the ball for all that long. So 
realistically, no, you might take a shot here and there. And we saw, of course, on that Jacoby Myers trick play, they are going to try and maybe scheme something up for a shot here or there, but it's not like they're going to be Patrick Mahomes trying to chuck the ball 40 yards downfield. Great if you're Patrick Mahomes, not great if you're the Patriots. So that leaves quick game. And Mac Jones this year, his numbers throwing deep, not, not all that good. His numbers on quick game, pretty solid. In that Saints game in week three, he was not necessarily you know, hitting a ton of shots downfield or doing that very well, but he was moving the ball with quick game. And I think that is the way you want to attack the Bucs. And given those constraints, Mac Jones did what he needed to do at a pretty high level. I mean, you know, you could take some, some little things here or there. Of course, you mentioned um, the interception. He also had to play. I, I wouldn't really blame him for that as much as I would for maybe the play near the end zone where he almost threw the pick. And that was a play where it, it kind of, he was scrambling, I think, like it had broken down a tiny yeah. bit. He wasn't really in control in the pocket. Um, and those are mistakes, you know, rookie quarterbacks, like you said, in their fourth start uh, with, you know, less than a thousand career pass attempts past the high school level. Rookies are going to make those mistakes. That's just the reality of being a, uh, you know, being a quarterback. And I think the fact that the game was so close, a lot of the Patriots to stay in that game plan. But you saw, I mean, they were two of nine on third down. Jones got sacked four times. Like when, when they needed Jones to make a big play, that was too much. And that's not necessarily like, I I don't blame Mac Jones for that. I, I don't think that's his fault necessarily. And I think, if we're four years down the line and he's not making those plays, I'd be a little concerned. But right now, I, I, I think Mac Jones did everything the Patriots could have asked of him. I think this was a game plan where to, I guess, to mix sports, like they were the baseball team that wanted to win by stringing together a bunch of singles. Mm-hmm. And hey, you can win baseball games that way, especially if there's a great pitcher on the other, on the other side of the field and you're not going to be able to hit a bunch of home runs. If you don't have the guys who can hit home runs, well, you got to try and win a different way. And to win games that way, you have to like string together a bunch of singles. You have to not make mistakes on the base pass and you can't hit into double plays. And for, in football, I guess this slightly tortured metaphor as I get further into it, I would say, I mean, you can't turn the ball over. You got to hit on third down. And the Patriots were not all that great on third down and they turned the ball over twice. They, they lost the turnover battle to nothing. And, you know, if, if they have James White, maybe they don't lose that fumble. Maybe they kick a field goal there. Maybe the, the end of game calculus changes, you know, it, it was a close enough game that I think those two minor issues swung it towards the bucks. But, um, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think Mac Jones was not like a hugely productive quarterback, but I think for the role they were asking him to play on that offense, which was the right role for his experience level and for the uh, the personnel they have and the personnel the Bucks have, I thought he executed that role very well. Yeah, totally agree. And I don't know if it's our job to give coaching points to coaches, but <laughs> if Josh McDaniels ever asked me, hey, Field, based off what you saw on Sunday, what would you like to see more of going forward is that, well... I believe the motivation for their game plan on Sunday night was the fact that they were playing the Bucks and running the football was, you know, at best unproductive, at worst, basically just burning it down. Mm-hmm. Take this style of play and just use it going forward. The Bucks, I'm sorry, the Texans who they played this weekend, like they're a very like decent, reasonable, frisky defense. I mean, first year, I think we all expected them to be right. But like, there's no need in my opinion for the Patriots to revert to form 
and try to ground and pound their way to a win on Sunday. Like at some point, the Patriots need to find a way to like, just like, can they just win? Like when was the last time the Patriots won a big blowout game? And I think that allowing Mac Jones to build off of the confidence from last Sunday, I say, Hey, you know what? We're going to continue to throw the football and trust you to run this relatively up-tempo, spread things out, make decisions mm-hmm. on your own at the line of scrimmage, that to me feels very important. It feels like if the Patriots can make strides offensively, their defense, which had by far its best game of the season, and I know yes. that they have, like, they've been pretty good so far defensively, like they can be, I don't know what the ceiling is, Bill. Like I tend to think like that the AFC playoff field probably has like four or five teams clearly ahead of them but they could at least be a very difficult out throughout the rest of the season. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And and I think, you know, to your point, if they had had that game plan and the defense gave up three early touchdowns to Tom Brady, they would have had to change the game plan. And that would have been, that that might, maybe it would work that great. Maybe Mac Jones would have risen to the occasion and they would have hit a bunch of deep shots. Who knows? But, you know, uh, the defense had to play well for them to have a shot in this game. And the defense was great. I mean, a defense missing Stefan Gilmore, you know, a guy who's a year removed from being AFC defensive player of the year, um, a defense that, you know, was playing a very impressive offense, a, you know, relatively healthy offense, um, of course, missing Gronk and that did hurt them. I think, you know, Gronk as a red zone threat has been so helpful for Tom Brady, but I mean, that offense is great. Yeah. Like this is, you know, an offense that was really uh, humming before they got to the New England. And of course the weather comes into play. Um, Leonard Fournette did have a, a excellent game, I think as the primary running back, but you know, it wasn't like Mike Evans had a huge game. It wasn't like Chris Godwin had a huge game. Antonio Brown hits that big play um, or, or almost has a big play. Um, but I, I felt like they did a really solid job. And I think, you know, to your point, like this is how they're going to win games. And, and I think, I don't think this is about to happen. I want to be clear. I don't think they're about to win the Super Bowl, but it reminds me a little bit of the formula that they had in 2001 mm-hmm. when they had a young quarterback yeah. who was inexperienced who, you know, was, was certainly limited at that time. And Tom Brady, that team was, Hey, we have a veteran defense. We have guys who know what they're doing in the front seven. We have a couple of really impressive cornerbacks. Um, we have, you know, veterans in the secondary who we trust, who we know can hold up in coverage and basically Tom don't lose us the game. We're going to try and run the ball a little bit. They were better running the ball, I think in 2001, but you know, we're going to try and be a team that's very balanced and tries to win the game with our defense. Yeah. And it felt like that kind of game until we got to, you know, the final two minutes and then what happened happened. It's funny. I have had the chance to watch the rough cuts of a few episodes of man in the arena, which is the forthcoming Tom Brady ESPN plus documentary and reliving those seasons through that advanced screening has, I mean, I couldn't agree anymore. Like the way that the Patriots distributed the football on offense back in 2001 and to a degree in 2003 and 2004, when they also won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. is in some ways reminiscent of this one. And um, I know that there is this, like what I wonder about Sunday night is that I, I believe Mac Jones earned the trust of a lot of people that were watching that mm-hmm. game. People feel yep. much more, I mean, I saw a, a variety of rhetoric surrounding Mac Jones prior to that game you know, he's, he's going to be nothing more than, than, than just basically thinking dunk champion. He's going to, you know, he's got a noodle arm and he's not, he can't drive the ball, yada, yada, yada. And he's not Josh Allen in terms of, 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 of overall arm strength or anything uh, close to that bill. But I think they earned a lot of, he earned a lot of trust. I hope the Patriots mm-hmm. for their own 
sake, say, hey, you know what? We may not necessarily need to score 35 to win this upcoming Sunday when we face Davis Mills and the Texans, but sure. nothing wrong with having an offense that's first goal every single drive is not just a score. I mean, everybody wants to score in every drive, but like, let's do it fast too. Like maybe we can get down the field and jam a couple of three minute touchdown drives down defensive mm-hmm. throats because our defense has something that few teams in the NFL have, which is depth at pass rushers. And when you play with mm-hmm. the lead, the Patriots can get two players on the field defensively that a lot of people want to see more of, but they are made to play with a lead not be the kind of guys that are setting the edge and getting mm-hmm. overwhelmed in the running game. And that's Josh Uche and Chase Winovich, former Michigan mm-hmm. teammates who both can really rush the passer. I mean, Uche especially, but they're just a little lighter in the trunk and the Patriots are going to turn to guys like Dietrich Wise on the edge when it's a quote unquote running down or mm-hmm. they're in a much more manageable situation. So the Patriots formula could change a little bit based off what we saw on Sunday. And I think that would be good and healthy for their short-term and obviously their long-term outlook as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something that you can kind of pick and choose. Like you're not, you know, if you go with tempo, you're not obligated to play with tempo for the entire game. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw on the first drive of the Bucks game, they went with tempo and it was kind of effective and then it kind of stalled and they went away from it for a bit and then they went back to it and it worked again. Sure, so yeah. you can kind of pick and choose that as much as you want. Now, you mentioned earlier the uh, the possibility of, us giving coaching advice. And (laughs) I have to ask you fields when it comes to the two decisions Bill Belichick made at the end of the first half and towards the end of the second half on fourth down around midfield. I think they were both in bucks territory or fourth and two before halftime was on the buck side of the field narrowly. And then the uh, fourth and three from the 37 with a minute to go uh, for Bill Belichick tried a 56 yard field goal and it was no good off the upright. A pretty impressive attempt from Nick Folk. It was. Given uh, given the circumstances, but off the uprights and out. Um, obviously, we know, hey, it didn't work out. They lost the game. If if the kick goes slightly inside the uprights, maybe we're thinking about this differently. Maybe Belichick's a genius. You know how this stuff goes. But in terms of the big picture, in terms of not knowing how those plays were going to work out, were you, did you feel like Belichick made the right calls in both of those situations? So I don't want to be a fence sitter on the second one, but I am going to fence sit on the end of the game one in the second here, Bill. The first okay. half, I actually thought it was the right decision at the time. And mm-hmm. um, part of the reason why is I know momentum is a, is a construct that has been discussed by many different people and people seem to put a you know differing amount of value into the idea of momentum. But there was something sure. to be said for the Patriots to be able to walk into the end of the first half or walk into halftime, I should say, and, and be able to look, look at the team and say, you know what? what? We got, like, we're up on this team. This team was supposed to come in here and steamroll us on the return of Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. If we pin them deep, which they did successfully on the punt. Now the Bucks obviously ended up getting points at the end of the first half, but still like sure, 7-6 versus 10-7. If you miss that fourth down conversion in the Bucks mm-hmm. score a touchdown, felt to me, momentous. And so I was hundred percent in agreement with the decision at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that, you know, I don't want to be results driven. I want to be process driven, but I thought the results sure. sort of fortified that. Like, I know the bucks did score points, but still like you, you go into the team with it, you, you go in with a lead and that's, that's got to feel, you got to feel pretty good about that. Um, sure. The fourth down decision at the end of the game, the reason why I'm fence sitting is that when it took place, I was so caught off guard that they were going for it. 
it didn't even, I mean, they were kicking the field goal. Like I had, I didn't even, I, I, I to be honest with you, Bill, it was one of those where like, I knew where the ball was in the field, but mm-hmm. my mind was thinking, oh, it's four down territory. There's no, like that, that's what, that's the clear plan here. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, just before the third down snap, Chris Collinsworth in the broadcast referenced, like, I think he made something, something like that. Hey, you got to figure this is four down territory, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm always wondering, like, if it is, like, do you just run the football here? Like, take, I know they hadn't been running the ball at all effectively, but sure. that's one of those rare circumstances where you might have had the numbers advantage and the Bucks probably thinking pass, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm fine with the decision, to be honest with you, Bill. Like, the, the kick, and I know that I just said, like, I don't want to be results driven, but because my mm-hmm. process there was, there was no process. Like I was thinking they were just going <laughs> for it. Like I can yeah. sort of lean on the kick. Right. And mm-hmm. it's clear that Nick Folk had the range out to there. Right. I mean, he misses if it's, if it's six inches to the right, the Patriots right. at least have a lead. Um, and so I, I know I'm fence sitting in not giving like a, a firm belief that they either made the decidedly correct or incorrect decision. So mm-hmm. maybe I'll lean on you instead. What did you think about that? I mean, Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, like, it's so funny because you look at the different models that come out after every, you know, fourth down decision. And we have a model at ESPN. Uh, ben Baldwin on Twitter has a model. Yeah. I know NFL Next Gen stats a model. And they said three totally different things. Right, right. Which that tells you how one, uh, one probability, uh, how different win probability models can be. Like ESPN's model said, you should probably kick it. And Ben's model said, uh, kind of like, a, like a, a lean towards going for it. And the NFL next gen model was like Bill Belichick made an enormous mistake by not going for it. And, and to me, it's almost like the numbers, of course they matter. Uh, I, you know, I'm a big nerd when probability models are something that I think about a lot, but I also want to think about the bigger picture of, of what's happening in the context of this individual game and in the context of what you know about the people involved and what a model might not know. And so Think about the stuff that we don't know or that a model might not know. So, of course, Mac Jones is a rookie. This is going to be a super pressure situation. Fourth and three, game on the line. The rain, which, you know, had it, it, it wasn't as bad as the rain in the Ravens game last year, yeah. the Ravens Patriots game last year. But at this point, they had said, I think Al Michaels came out and said, like, right around this time frame, the rain's coming down harder than it has at any point during this game. It was The rain was at its worst on this fourth down. That's not going to help out Mac Jones. Um, he's done a good job. It wasn't like the ball was slipping out of his hand, but you got to figure it's not going to make his life any easier. Now, Nick Folk is going to kick a 56 yard field goal in the rain, which again, that's not going to help his footing. Uh, you got to figure it's going to hurt the kicking game, maybe hurt his range a tiny bit. On top of that, Nick Folk, I believe was not hundred percent heading into this game. I think he had a minor injury of some nature. He was still kicking, of course, but you know, and again, the Patriots know Nick Folk's actual range. Uh, in the game better than we do. And certainly that is true. But here's the thing I would say. There's 59 seconds left. Let's say Nick hmm. Folk hits this kick. Two timeouts, Tom Brady. Yep. The, the guy on the other side of the field is the greatest quarterback who has ever lived. Like maybe if you were doing a draft of the quarterbacks you'd not want to face in the situation, maybe Aaron Rodgers is number one after that Niners sure. game. Maybe Patrick Mahomes. Just by saying this, someone's going to get angry at me, but I'm not, I'm just t- saying guys off the top of my head, please don't get mad. This is not an actual ranking. It's Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, uh, Russell Wilson, all terrifying people. Tom Brady's not far off that list in terms of guys. I'd be worried about getting the ball in field goal range with a minute and two timeouts. And 
I, I mean, just like when you kick that field goal, knowing you still have to defend against him for a minute. And after, by the way, he did this in the first half they scored in that situation. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think kicking is like the worst idea in the history of the world. Like, I don't think it's indefensible by any means. But when Bill Belichick came out after the game and he said, we didn't even think about going for it. You know, Bill is not always the most forthcoming with the media. And that is certainly his prerogative. I I don't know that we can take what he said at total face value, mm. but I think it has to at least be a serious debate. And you don't have a lot of time to think about it. That is certainly true. But man, that I, I feel like I would want to go for it there and not in the best case scenario, let alone the worst case scenario, in the best case scenario, put the ball in Tom Brady's hands. But maybe you back up your defense. Maybe you think, hey, we can stop them from going 50 yards uh, with two timeouts. You know, I, I could see the ball check going from that perspective as well. Yeah, I mean, I think probably, so Bill, usually when there's a decision uh, involving, you know, that has sort of a binary uh, there, there are binary options here. I feel like you're mm-hmm. fairly assertive and tend to have like a pretty clear stance on where you're at. And it felt like they're like, well, it, it's clear that you would have gone for it. You can at least semi-understand the opposite side of the coin there. Probably suggests mm-hmm. what I think is like the most, even if it's a cold take, like the most logical take is that 60% of me thinks you should go for it. 40% thinks you should kick it. And mm-hmm. whereas most of these, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, whether it's, you know, we saw a few other notable coaching decisions on fourth down in other games, like, oh my God, what are you doing here, right? <laughs> so this was one of those that the yes. circumstances were notable. It was the only game on, it was a the most anticipated regular season game and, you know, probably a decade, maybe more. Mm-hmm. But I think the decision is like semi-defensible and you could find two very reasonable minds that go back and forth on it. But um yeah, I mean, I, I, I was. That's why again, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be. The fence is mine to sit on for this debate. <laughs> that's fair, and I mean, like, you know, again, it almost worked. Like, right. they, oh, that was incredible. Right. What a, in terms of like, we're kind of spoiled because the Justin Tucker kick happened a week ago. But like, in terms of incredible kicks that just missed, that's pretty high up there, man. That was a really impressive kick. But at the end of the day, it was a close game. I, I think. Buccaneers, of course, leave with a victory. End of the day, like you leave with a W, you're happy. Patriots, I think a lot to take away from that game and feel good about for the rest of the season and also in the big picture um, with Mac Jones. Anything else comes to mind to you that you want to talk about when it comes to that Patriots game? The only last thing I'd say, Bill, is that, you know, I agree with you, the idea like Patriots fans should hopefully take this as like, we have some things to build on. When you're Mm -hmm. so accustomed to success for 20 years, it's harder to see those sort of small incremental steps forward, right? Like I could see that if we were talking about whether it's, you know, the Bengals with Joe Burrow or the Jets with Zach, with, with Zach Wilson. I know they're different years of their career, but still like even the, the Bengals obviously have been solid in winning their first, you know, three of their first four games. But like ultimately this year, if they go, if they go eight and eight and nine this year, like it's still a pretty significant leap forward. And for the Jets, like if yeah. they can, you know, just if they just feel confident in, in Zach Wilson as a player at the end of this year, like it's still a pretty notable step forward for Patriots fans. Like they're, they're, it's not, that's not how their mindset is right now. And that's not something you know wrong with them. It's just, that's what it's the standard for the past few years. So I do wonder mm-hmm. if like, it's going to be harder 
to sort of accept like, Hey, we may go eight and nine this year, but if our young quarterback's really good, like, that might be the most important thing that can happen this year. Like, I don't know, this is a Super Bowl winning roster right now. So more important than anything else is determining is Mac Jones a 10 year starter. And if the answer is clearly yes, you're in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the big takeaway from this game for sure. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, let's move on. A couple other quarterbacks who are kind of in the evaluation process we're going to get to here uh, in the other two games we're going to discuss. And let's start with Eagles Chiefs, which um, I'll say I was a little surprised. And we talked about maybe what other games we would cover. And you brought up Jalen Hurts and, and what you know the evaluation process of Jalen Hurts has been like. So I want to hear about that. I mean, what are you thinking about Jalen Hurts after this game against the Chiefs or maybe in the big picture as well. So if you just look at the raw numbers, you'd be saying to yourself, wow, he threw for nearly 400 yards, yeah, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He fumbled the ball once, but it was recovered by his own team. It was Nate. Yep. Yeah, so it was, I think it was an offensive line after a crazy scramble. Crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. Okay, so a turnover-free game, nearly 400 yards, two touchdowns. That all seems pretty good, right? And yet significant a portion of that or some notable plays from that came in junk time. And this was a game that was largely out of hand and it was clear that the Eagles were completely overmatched, especially defensively. Yes. Bill, our, I believe it was, uh, our, our friend, Evan Silva, maybe it might've been Lance Zerline who started the thread Mm -hmm. that's got that sort of picked up with Silva from there who noted like two years ago, really three years ago during his final season at Alabama, there were real questions about Jalen Hurts as a thrower. We mm-hmm. all know he's an exceptional athlete, but like as a thrower, there's a reason why he was benched by a quarterback in Tua Tunga Vailoa, who, by the way, we have questions about now as well. So it's not like Fair. he got benched for Trevor Lawrence, right? He got benched for a mm-hmm. guy who, although there was significant hype around Tua, now has to meet that hype. Um, he has advanced so much as a thrower from that point. He is such a better player, such a refined quarterback relative to that. And yet, whether it's because I'm spending too much time paying attention to what the Eagles organization could potentially do with all the assets mm-hmm. that it has, 
or if it's just because the team is now one in three and has looked bad in those three straight losses, it mm-hmm. feels to me like there's not this significant swell of support that like no matter what else is happening around us, Jalen Hurts is definitely our guy. He mm-hmm. does not strike me as a lock to be the guy for Philly for the next five years. And I guess I can't decide if I'm either A, not paying close enough attention, B, I'm reading it correct, or I guess B, which is I'm reading it correctly, and this is a conversation that Philly is going to have at some point in three or four months. Do you have a, yeah. do you have a strong read on it? I don't. And, and I think it's really interesting because like you said, you brought up the, the possibility of, Oh, you know, they're uh, one trade away from Deshaun Watson. If they got the clearance to do so yeah. um, they're, you know, one trade away from going out and getting a, a top five pick in the draft. They might get a top five pick through their own yeah. struggles. If they don't improve or, their or Miami struggles, by the way, or Miami yeah. struggles as well, which is legit. I mean, like, you know, it, it certainly feels like that part of us as fans of, oh, let's look forward to next year is sort of already in play for the Eagles, a team that we know is in rough cap shape this year, you know, sort of eating their vegetables after the Carson Wentz trade that has so many picks to work with next year. You know, it, it sort of feels like even in this game at Jalen Hurts, there were stretches where, you know, the fans were booing every play in the red zone, it felt like. And, you know, you sort of thought, okay, well, is Joe Flacco or Gardner Minshew going to get up and and come in this game? But I don't, you know, Jalen Hurts certainly missed throws in this game. He had early miss to Zach Ertz in the end zone that should have been a touchdown. Um, but like, this is pretty good for a guy who, you know, like like you said, I mean, was not expected to be necessarily an NFL caliber quarterback and who, even though it was in garbage time to some extent, the numbers in the long run looked pretty effective. And I think the the part that, I always find so difficult when it comes to evaluating Jalen Hurts and evaluating this offense is that last year, when he comes in, he beats the Saints. They run a very, you know, sort of like Lamar Jackson-esque offense. It's a lot of, you know, modern run concepts, or I guess old concepts with modern run twists. Um, you know, the, the passing game is not super uh, extensive, but it works. It gets the job done. He doesn't play all that well the rest of the year, finishes, you know, completing 52% of his passes, a, a 70.7, sorry, a 77.6 passer rating. Like, you know, not, not the sort of stuff that would blow you away by any means. And I think one of the biggest reasons I thought, okay, I, I want to give Jalen Hurts a second chance. I want to see what he can do in 2020, sorry, in 2021 was I looked at the offensive line and Jalen Hurts was playing behind Jason Kelsey and four guys who weren't expected to start up front. So I figured, okay, 2021 is going to come along, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to get a second chance to play with a much better offensive line. And here we are in week four and it's Jason Kelsey and four backups in front of Jalen Hurts. And it's not as if the chiefs have the fiercest pass rush in the NFL, but that's got to impact what you can do. Right. I, I mean, I think, you know, we're sort of, it's, it's tough to commit or not commit because it feels like, he hasn't always had the best opportunity or been put in the best position to succeed. And I think until we actually see him play with a better offensive line, I I think it's tough for the organization. I think it's tough for the fans. I think it's tough for, you know, uh, the people around him to kind of figure out, okay, is Jalen the guy or is he not the guy? Yeah. And this is an obscure analogy that I'm going to make and it's sort of (laughs) backwards, but hear me out here for a second. Sure. Is, it's really hard to evaluate Jalen Hurts without sort of the requisite pieces, specifically the offensive line around him, 
And I was having a conversation with Daniel Dopp, a, fair, a shared friend of ours who is a diehard Detroit Lions fan. And he was talking about how like, he's pleased to have Jared Goff as their bridge quarterback. He gives him like a modicum of respectability. Jared Goff is not, he's not Matthew Stafford. There's a reason why he was traded with picks and Stafford came back without picks. Right. Yes. But sure. Don't I feel strongly about this point. Like the lions are going to learn more about their offensive pieces this year by having a bridge level quarterback. Mm-hmm. than the Texans are able to right now with Davis mills, Instead of having Terod Taylor, who when they did have Terod Taylor, like you could learn more about some of these pieces around him. Like having a baseline helps you evaluate everybody else. Because if Davis Mills is your starting quarterback, I'm sorry, with you know the the requisite respect that's deserved to players who we don't know a ton about. Like I'm not I'm not talking about Brandon Cooks or Laramie Tunsil, but other pieces on that Texan draft are like it's just going to be hard for them to get anything done because defense are just going to attack Davis Mills at this juncture in his career. So the inverse of that, I suppose, is that like Jalen Hurts has there's a lack of pieces in place around him along the offensive line that just make the evaluation that much more difficult. So I think mm-hmm. if you were to tell me or ask me, am I am I more? This is a very sort of novice way of describing it. Am I more in or out on, on Jalen Hurts as a starter? It's pretty clear to me that I'm more in. However, it seems to me that as you mentioned, with potentially three first round picks and the potential to acquire a clear franchise quarterback, whether that's Deshaun Watson or anybody else who might become available next off season, as we know, there are going to be a few quarterbacks that are going to be looking for a change of scenery. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time not thinking about Philly being at the top of the list of teams most likely to make a move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I think for the Eagles, it's kind of a, a win-win in some ways. Like if Jalen hurts, is the guy great. Like, Hey, we landed on our guy. He's a franchise quarterback. We had him, got him in the second round. We didn't have to use a first round pick to get him. And we're good. Now we have all these assets we can use to build around him. We can go out and get that number one receiver in free agency. Cause now we have cap space. We can go out and draft a guy in the first round to, to give him help. We can go out and get more offensive line depth in case four of our five offensive linemen get injured for the third consecutive season. But if they don't, well, Hey, you gave it a shot. You had all these picks. You're going to get a pretty high draft pick if Jalen Hurts is not all that great. And you can kind of start over. So, I mean, you know, I I, I I could see why you would not think of this year as like, you know, the year. It's sort of like a, hey, if it works out, great. If not, we're thinking about 2022 anyway. But I think it's tough. You know, I think we've seen so many quarterbacks in the NFL who, you know, uh, have been in the wrong situation and looked like a mess. I mean, Jared Goff is a perfect example um, when it comes to his first year at the Rams and the post Sean McVay years at the Rams where he looked like a totally different guy. And I think one of the other quarterbacks we're going to bring up and we'll talk about this other game now, I guess, is Sam Darnold, a, a guy who, of course, struggled mightily with the Jets. And then first three weeks of the year in Carolina, he doesn't trail once. He has Christian McCaffrey. He has DJ Moore. He has uh, a solid offensive line. Sam Darnold looks like he is a totally different quarterback. And in the uh, fourth game of the year to play the Cowboys, the toughest competition they faced yet, they don't have Christian McCaffrey and Sam Darnold has some great moments. And Sam Darnold has definitely had some solid plays in this game and was bizarrely effective as a runner, which I want to get to with you. But Sam Darnold, we saw some of the old Sam Darnold. We saw some struggling. We saw some, uh, you know, some pushing to try and make plays. We saw some throws that were maybe, you know, uh, into coverage that 
were more aggressive than you would hope for from a fourth-year quarterback. But that's just the reality of Sam Darnold after three years in, I don't want to say in jail. The Jets are not NFL jail, but, you know, three years without getting the records of support or quarterback needs. And so, you know, when it comes to this Cowboys-Panthers game, I, I guess from the Panthers' perspective, like you saw Sam Darnold struggle. Does that give you a pause for concern after what you saw over the first three years of Sam Darnold's career or the guy who you traded for hoping he was going to be the guy from the first three weeks of the year? Do you think that means more going forward than those struggles in week four? You know, it's fine. I don't want to rewind. I don't want to fast forward. I can say all the way to the off season and every conversation that we have. Mm-hmm. However, it is fun to, I know it's fun, but it's, it's perhaps worth noting that, Carolina is another team that I think if Sam Darnold levels off and looks more like the player we saw for three years might right away be near that shoppers list for quarterbacks this offseason. Um, they have enough draft capital. They have enough cap space, um, et cetera. They've got an owner that I think is very much craving success sooner rather than later and a GM that we know is unafraid to explore trades. Um, but Sam Darnold, for the, th- for the first four weeks, not just three weeks, has shown me significant strides. It's clear that infrastructure and support system matters. Not that we didn't know that, but it's always good to be reminded that about quarterbacks because too frequently we ascri- we just say, hey, you know what, this, like, this is the issue. And there are other ones that are going to fit this bill, by the way, it's way too frequently that we just assume a quarterback is a bust when that quarterback is basically set up to fail rather than being set up to succeed. So here's some of the things that I've liked from Sam Darnold so far this year is, and they actually, they kind of both two things that come to mind tied to athletic ability is I don't have an official ranking here, but Sam Darnold feels to me like one of the more comfortable quarterbacks throwing on the run this season. Mm -hmm. We've seen a decent amount of, Rollouts, move the pocket throws, not just going right where quarterbacks are typically more more comfortable, but going left as well, which Mm -hmm. requires torque and throwing across your body. There's a confidence that I think is required to make throws like that. I have seen more of that from Sam this year than I can recall from his time in the Jets. I also think the functional mobility that we've, I know that the five rushing touchdowns in four (laughs) games is not sustainable, (laughs) obviously, but I don't think it's a total, I don't think it's completely coincidence as well. If I'm not mistaken, no, three not. of those are, are, are read options by the quarterback at the goal mm-hmm. line, right? They're just basically, it's, it's, it's him and Christian McCaffrey for, I think one of them. And then I think it was Chubb Hubbard for the final two where like he's making mm-hmm. a decision and they're trusting him because he's athletic and nimble enough to gain the edge if it presents itself. So those are some things that I've seen from Sam that I think are clearly, like encouraging you're right there is still this propensity to throw to jam throws into poor opportunities that was a hallmark of his time with the jets has not necessarily been a hallmark for carolina but those are the kind of Mm -hmm. uh, mistakes you expect him to maybe um get rid of i mean you would hope uh those are soon to be distant distant memories So I think that Carolina probably feels like they've made significant strides forward at the quarterback spot compared to where they were last year, even if Teddy Bridgewater has looked, you know, solid so far for Denver. 
But I think that Sam still has some work to do to prove that he's the guy for them going forward. And if he's not proved that by the end of this year, then I think Carolina is a is a, an intriguing uh, potential buyer in the quarterback market as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, to the rushing element of his game, like it's not an accident. You know, it'd be one thing if he was just scrambling and happened to get five touchdowns or he was just, you know, sneaking in from a yard out and he was, you know, doing that. And he has had some success on sneaks and he has been um, scrambling for some first downs. But like you said, these are design plays, yeah. you know, the, the 11 yarder, I think in the game was a, um, you know, it was an RPO and and he just kept the ball because the Cowboys had a five man box and he scored um, the first touchdown on Sunday was a speed option. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think anybody would have said, Hey, we're going to run a speed option with Sam Darnold and it's going to work, but it worked. And I mean, you know, full credit to Joe Brady and full credit to Sam Darnold for, you know, kind of going out of your comfort zone. Like the dude can scoot and, and he is a legit threat there. And for so many of the NFL's top quarterbacks, like yes, Tom Brady doesn't do that. Yes. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't really do that, but um, that's kind of like par for the course now. Like, like you can be a pocket passer and, if you're great at that, that's one thing. But for so many of the other guys in the NFL, like you're adding value, you're adding a first down or two first downs a game with your legs. And I think Sam doing that, you know, raises his floor, of course, as a fantasy football player, but also just in terms of real football. Like if you could pick up two first downs a game with your legs when there's nothing there, awesome. Because then that's not a throw you're putting into traffic. It's not a throw you're putting into a tight window. And that's great. And then, you know, I, I think the what I want to see over the rest of the year from Sam Darnold is yes, we know they're not going to be bleeding comfortably the way they were the first three weeks of the season for the vast majority of games. That's just not the reality of being an NFL quarterback. But what I think I want to see is how often does he make those kind of throws? How often do we have the announcer say, Oh, almost intercepted by from Darnold. Like if, if there's five of them per game, that's a problem. And I think with the jets, there were times where that was the case, but if there's, one of them per game by the end of the year, that feels better, you know? And I think you can imagine just like, you know, I'm never going to be an NFL quarterback, but I can imagine being in that situation with the Jets of, okay, I know we, I know I have to make plays because our defense isn't good enough. Our offensive line isn't good enough. Our receivers aren't good enough. Our running game isn't good enough. Our coach isn't good enough. Like I have to make this happen. And with the Panthers, Sam does not need to do that. The defense is legitimately good. I know the Cowboys gave them a rough time, but the Cowboys are going to give a lot of teams a rough time over the course of this season. The weapons are very good. DJ Moore looks awesome to start the season. Christian McCaffrey looked great. Yeah, he's such a fun player. Christian McCaffrey um, looked very good before suffering his injury. Hopefully he'll be back in a week or two. Um, The offensive line is okay. It's not the best line in football, but it gets the job done. And so I think from for Sam's sort of internal clock, like he has to have that realization of, okay, I don't have to be the hero. Like there are plays where I'm going to make a throw on field and make a great play, or I'm going to scramble for a first down, or I'm going to escape a sack and, and try to hit an open receiver or extend a play that happens. And that's part of being a great quarterback, but like, you know, th- there, there's going to be better windows than some of the windows Sam has thrown into. And I think this was maybe the first sign that might be a problem, but I think what I want to see over the next six, seven, eight weeks is, okay, how often is that happening? Because if it's not happening all that often, I think Sam Darnold's a pretty good pro quarterback. Yeah, I completely agree. There's a line that was used by, incidentally, uh, the old team that Sam played for, the Jets, was Robert Sala, who was saying about Zach Wilson after the Patriots game when he threw four picks. 
I need you to play boring football sometimes. And <laughs> that's a lesson that for the record applies still to the very best going, right? I mean, part of this is due to his immobility, but Tom Brady is one mm-hmm. of the most, I would say, capable quarterbacks at just bailing on a play on even on third down when it's or even in the red zone when it's got no shot, Bill, because mm-hmm. a, a third or you know, a, a third down play from the 22 going in that goes from third and seven to fourth and seven is a lot better than a third down play where you try to make something out of nothing. You get sacked at the 29 and a 46 yard field goal. I mean, you, you expect your kicker to make that, but it's a whole different opportunity than a 39 mm-hmm. yard field goal. So I'm with you. Sam just needs to reel some of those in a little bit, but if I'm a Panthers fan, like I'm definitely encouraged by the progress he's made, the pieces around him and specifically on the coaching staff that have looked really good. And his team has gotten virtually nothing out of Robbie Anderson yet. Like there's, I think room for this offense to grow as well. And if not for the brilliance of DJ Moore, like maybe we'd be talking about some of the things that haven't happened yet more, but mm-hmm. uh, this like Sam has been like that trade was almost like a tempt me trade. Right. I mean, they pa- bypassed Justin Fields. They bypassed Mac Jones at pick number eight. Uh, they could have potentially moved up and angled for a quarterback like a Trey Lance. Um, and they said, no, we're good. And we'll see in the long term because I think we've both seen, we talked about the promise of Mac and Justin Fields, I think has shown some promise as well. But in the short term, like I do feel as though this is a pretty reasonable, this has been a pretty reasonable start for Sam, Dar- more than reasonable, a pretty solid start for Sam Darnold, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'll finish up with this. I want to ask you about this game on the whole field. So of course the Panthers start out 3-0, look great. Um, for most, I mean, they they weren't all that great for stretches in week three, but generally, you know, win comfortably. They get the Cowboys in week four, they lose, which it happens. Everyone's going to lose. We're down to one undefeated team, and it's the Cardinals after four weeks. So that happens. But f- from your perspective, in your mind, was this game number one or number two? So number one is this was a eh, solid, pretty good Panthers team running into a better Cowboys team. That's pretty good. Or number two was to say very good Panthers team running into a scary Cowboys team. Like, 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 do you think this tells us more about the the Panthers being kind of okay or the Cowboys being potentially really good? I think this is a pretty good Panthers team running into and there is a very, very good Dallas team. Uh, Things have fallen into place finally for Dallas the major investments that they've made have played like major investments for the most part, Mm -hmm. not all of them, but Dak Prescott quickly has gone bill. And I think this is one of the early storylines that's underrated in the, in the NFL season. He went from one of the nearly nastiest quarterback contract negotiations ever to, I would contend one of the best bargains in the league right now at $35 Mm -hmm. million per year. And I know that Dak's deal, there were no existing years. So when the Bills are talking about a $43 million per year extension for Josh Allen, there's also two years that are less than $43 million on average, obviously. Mm -hmm. But $35 million for Dak Prescott at the age, he's 28 now. The way that he has performed to me feels like one of the strong values in the NFL. I think the Cowboys are... 
They're not there yet. I have, I still have defensive questions, and I know that's a little bit taboo right now, given how they've played in recent weeks defensively. <laughs> and, you know, frankly, I still have some, some coach coaching staff trust issues. Um, sure. Mike McCarthy, I think is justifiably, um, you know, we, we've, we've discussed some, you know, earlier I mentioned how like there have been some notable coaching decisions that were pretty obviously, you know, errant in recent weeks. Yep. He's had some of those, right. Um, but the offense has the chance to completely demoralize any opponent of plays. And even in a game in which Dak Prescott completes 14 passes, I mean, they skate, and I, I know there was, you know, some, some, certainly some help from the defense and, and Trevon Diggs was great or had, had some really great moments. I should say, like mm-hmm. they just cruised to five touchdowns without really breaking a sweat. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, that's just, hard to do, man. Like in a, in a league where like you're, you're playing against a Panthers team that, as you noted, they had not trailed a single snap prior to week four. Mm-hmm. With a good defense, yeah. like a legit, like scary front four, like an impressive defense. Shaq Thompson is playing out of his mind. Yeah. Jeremy Chin looks great. Like, it wasn't like they were running through, you know, the worst defense in football. And I mean, this was a team that doesn't have Michael Gallup. Amari Cooper wasn't a hundred percent and still had a long touchdown. And I mean, you know, I think the the classic criticism of Dak, and it's certainly criticism, maybe is the wrong word, but be like the argument for why maybe his stats are not all that great is like, well, he's playing with great players and he is, I mean, no doubt Zach has some, Zach has some great talent to work with, but look who was catching touchdowns or having big plays in this game. It was Dalton Schultz. It was Blake Jarwin. It was Cedric Wilson. Like those, those guys look better because not only is the offensive flying great and only the other weapons great, but Dak is hitting them in stride for big plays. And the other guy who I think from a fantasy perspective, as we'll finish up here, um, you know, someone who has kind of being, drafted almost begrudgingly in the first round like oh i gotta take that guy was ezekiel elliott and with a healthy offensive line zeke looks like a like the guy who was really good for the first few years of his career he looks faster he's hitting bigger plays the holes are bigger i mean he looks like you know he's not necessarily the focal point of the offense that he was three or four years ago but when he gets the ball he looks scary with it in his hands and i think you know, when I think about, oh, how am I going to stop this Cowboys offense? There's like no easy way to do it. Zeke has very few limitations to his game. He may not be the most well-rounded running back in the NFL, but I'm having a hard time of deciding who's like clearly more well-rounded than him. I think for sure. Probably a case mm-hmm. for Christian McCaffrey, but like the stuff that Zeke can do as a power runner, the stuff that he can do as a pass protector, which another, you and I could probably do a show of just like eight under the radar storylines in the NFL season but it's evident to me how much teams value running backs that can hold up in pass protection and don't fumble the football. Like that stuff yes. matters. I think it always has, but it seems to matter more than ever. Uh, Zeke does it all. He's been tremendous. And the decision to extend him at the time that they did, you know, for, to me will remain ill-fated bill, but mm-hmm. I'm like for the Cowboys from a pure, like would they be better with or without Zeke Elliott? Like I know I'm stating the obvious here, but not only are they better, they're much better with Zeke as their running back right now. Much, much mm-hmm. better. Yeah. And I think, you know, even if you're a big Tony Pollard fan, like having Zeke and Tony Pollard is awesome. Yeah. Like you don't have to overwork either of those guys. I mean, there's just so many guys in this offense where, you know, you don't think of them. Like, again, Dalton Schultz was a backup tight end last year who had barely played. And Dalton Schultz is like the tight end four. Yeah. 
I think in fantasy, in football, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Five. And like he's the fifth option yep. in this offense, maybe sixth option when everyone's healthy. Like that is that is how good this offense can be. And I think, you know, yes, like the defense, uh, Javon Diggs, who's been very good this year, is probably not going to intercept five passes in every four games. I don't think you have to worry about that. Randy Gregory looked impressive in the Panthers game. You can never really count on Randy Gregory to be there um, by the end of the season. But what I would say is this, like if you're a, a playoff team and you're facing the Cowboys in January, like, yes, you can beat them. We know the Cowboys are are vulnerable, but when their guys are healthy right now, most of their guys are healthy. They are such a scary football team. Yeah. They can score on anybody. They can score quickly. They can hold the ball. Like anything you need an offense to do, the Cowboys can do it. And that is not a team that I'd want to face if I were in the playoffs because I don't know. I like, like there are teams in the NFC who can put up 40 points if they have to, but I wouldn't want to have to face the Cowboys knowing that's going to be in the back of my mind. And the quarterback is so good. Like that's the part that scares me the most about the Cowboys facing them is I just truly believe that Dak's ascension is going to continue and mm-hmm. That we, we can rehash the contract negotiations if we'd like. It feels to me like you know an effort in vain. But he, he, to me, he's just far exceeded the numbers, the, I guess the money, I should say, already. He's playing mm-hmm. at such a high level. He's evolved as a player, really isn't running that much this season. He's just carving you up. And yeah, I mean, I, I know the game is not played on paper. I know that we often talk about the strength of the Cowboys on paper, but the guys that we assume to be stars for this roster, some of them, I mean, for the most part, they are Zeke and also Dak. Amari Cooper, even though he's been a bit banged up, has played really well. Tyron Smith's been his typically great self and Zach Martin. And on defense, they've gotten unexpected emergences uh, from players like Trevon Diggs, who was a good player last year, but I mean, the play way he's playing now is obviously exceptional. So yeah, this Cowboys mm-hmm. team, I think, is the real deal. I think they're like they're they're quickly becoming one of the fun teams for me to watch. Yes. Well, a star on any roster. ESPN's Field Yates. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. You if people kind. want to listen to more, I'm I, I think I'm appropriately kind. I think I'm appropriately expressing how how much fun, how easy it is to have you on the show. I know it's always going to be a good conversation. I know I'm always going to learn some stuff. I'm always going to have some unique insight from someone who covers the game in so many different ways. But Field, if people want to hear more of the work you do, want to read more of the work you do, where can they do that? The best place to do so on a frequent basis is Monday through Friday. If you have the hour of 11 a.m. Eastern time to noon available and you want to watch the Fantasy Focus either on Twitter or YouTube, the ESPN Fantasy Facebook page, Um, I think I might be forgetting one medium. Maybe we're on TikTok (laughs) by now. All of those are ways to watch it live, or you can subscribe to the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast wherever you get your Bill Barnwell Show podcast or (laughs) any other Mina Kimes podcast or any of the other great podcasts um, that we have here at ESPN. You can find some of my written work on ESPN Plus where you can also do, like I did earlier today, you can read about the 16 MVP candidates uh, as you so eloquently laid out in one of your in your latest piece today on ESPN Plus, Bill. Man, what a professional! <laughs> that's 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 what I always think. The man just knows how to do a good plug. Field Yates, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Bill. All right, thanks so much to my friend Field Yates. 
feels great. Obviously, follow him on Twitter. I'm guessing you probably do. Let's be realistic. But uh, follow him on Twitter. Read his stuff on ESPN+. Plus. Watch Fantasy Focus, of course. You guys know all that already. But just in case you don't, please do that. We have more audio coming next week. Hope you guys enjoyed the football analysis. Thought we got a pretty good conversation today. Hopefully more of that in the weeks to come. But thanks so much for listening. And talk to you guys next week.